Welcome to the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. We got a Wednesday night live stream for everybody. I'm Joe Cook. I'm joined by Justin Wells. We also got Eric Nolene in the house. Guys, how are y'all doing on a as we get closer and closer to another big junior day but with news breaking seemingly every day? It's, it, it feels like. Well, I'm excited. We get we better dress warm. You know, got to bundle up. Um, it's not going to be as bad as that Connor Brewer Junior Day where you know we all saw like ten accidents on the way into Austin and uh, half the players didn't show up. Justin, I'm sure you remember that one. Yeah, I had the flu. If you'll remember, I actually literally had the flu. I didn't realize I had the flu. Oh, nice. It was like on day six or seven of it, and so I was. Uh, that was really painful. Uh, I remember the subway on the back on on, on thirty five or forty five rather. And I was just like, this is this is this is awful. But we got good content. And so in uh, Texas, we, we knew there was something good cooking there. So it was worth it in the end. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how that affects uh, the, the turnout. But hey, if you go to InsideTexas.com, you've probably seen that there are over almost 60 prospects making it in. Does not look like uh, there's going to be any issue with with people making it into town. Guys, we'll, we'll get to a lot of different topics today, take questions, but we want to hit on questions that we have uh, from the Inside Texas message board. Um, so this one is from uh, DRJCPA, uh, been somebody who's been on the board for a good while. Um, he goes, I've heard and read comments that Texas will hopefully pick up a defensive tackle in the spring. Can players who transfer via the spring portal play in the upcoming season? Uh, remembers a rule change. As far as we know, uh, it doesn't seem like there's any restriction. If you're in that spring portal, um, you can transfer in and use that time exception, The that that uh, one-time transfer. The only exception is if you're SEC to SEC. And Eric, you know, I think there are a lot, there was a lot of wishful thinking that maybe there was a loophole like, oh, Texas isn't joining the Big 12 yeah. until – july 1st and that spring portals in in may but uh i don't think that that loophole exists and that uh doesn't sound like you've heard it either no no and, and there's no one-time exception anymore either it's basically free reign for these guys right. to go wherever they want um, but you know that works both ways uh, texas was very happy that that uh period eclipsed where their guys couldn't transfer to the sec now texas guys are locked in uh so it's a lot less attractive uh, to join the portal if you can't go within the SEC. So that yeah, fans are looking at it the wrong way to me. I think uh, everybody's relieved in some regards that, hey, look, um, if, if Texas guys are going to leave, they're going to have to go to the Big Ten or what's left of uh, the Big 12. And uh, so don't everybody looks at the negative there or that they that, you know, they're not going to be able to uh, to get a Texas, uh, an SEC player in the spring window. Uh, but you're not going to lose one to the SEC either. So it works both ways. We got another question. Uh, this one was a good one. Any intel on Joe DiCamillo's plans or any off-field hires outside of Aquina? Um, there may be some others that materialize, but it doesn't seem like Joe DiCamillo's is, is going anywhere. I think if if there was anything that was going to pop up, uh, he would have probably been on an NFL roster or coaching roster, but he seems pretty happy at Texas. And Justin, it looked like Sark relied on Joe DiCamillis a lot over the course of the season to kind of be that overall game strategy guy when, when Sark was kind of knee-deep in play calling and offensive and, and digging in with the offense. No question, but, uh, you know, his, to me, his, his biggest influence was obviously on special teams 
And I think you even brought it up in, in one of the posts of talking about them having one of the best, if not the, the top rated special teams unit in the country in 2023. He's created a monster in Gunner Keaton Crawford. Crawford, I think, owes him and Jeff Banks a, a debt of gratitude. Uh, he, he did a lot of good things on with special teams and with Jeff Banks, who we know uh, considers football three phases, no, all equal. <laughs> and, and he convinces his players of such. And so D. Camillas, I think, was just uh, an, uh, had that that imprint on being a veteran, being a guy that had been coaching in Super Bowls, coaching in other big uh, college games. But at the end of the day, I think him and Banks teaming up on special teams is really the biggest uh, imprint from him. Well, he, he's expected back. And, uh, yeah, he is sort of like the associate head coach for Sark. He's uh, he's in his ear about timeouts, how much clock uh, left. Um, and he quizzes the coaches and the players. He, you know, they'll hold meetings with the whole team and the coaches. And Deke Millis is the guy, rapid-fire questions to everybody. What do you do in this situation? So he's, he's there basically to uh, to increase the situational football IQ of the program. He's As uh, Justin said, he's integral with special teams. I don't think he's headed anywhere. He's expected back as far as we know. Those are the questions we got over on Inside Texas. Make sure you head to Inside Texas. You can get one month of access for just one dollar, and that'll get you uh, a lot of recruiting intel. Not through the not through just this Junior Day weekend, but through the lead up to spring football, where we've got a lot of in depth analysis and uh, in, in everything related to spring practice heading into the SEC. There's some already some good questions in the chat. I really like this one from Churchin. More likely four wide or a pony package. Not sure what a pony package is. Would that be three running backs? I think he's talking I don't know, about. But, I think he's talking about two running backs. Uh, more likely would be two running backs because Sark wants to run the ball if he can. Um, four wide kind of declares that you're going to throw it without the uh, threat of a running quarterback. You know, if you had Sam Ellinger back there, then then it, it might be a little bit different. Obviously, that's an entirely different offense. So I know everybody's got these. Uh, wonderful ideas of all these wide receivers running all over the place and catching <laughs> bombs left and right, but a lot of that's set up by the the run game. So uh, I don't I don't expect to see much four wide. Maybe uh, maybe my contemporaries here uh, think differently. I don't I don't know if you won't see four wide receivers on the field. I, I think you'll see some you know two by two or three by one split out sets. Uh, but Steve Sarkeesian doesn't run ten personnel. He's he's not a leech disciple. Uh, he's not a I guess he's not even Kalen DeBoer he likes to have the threat of running the football and the threat of play action and that's one of the things that that helps his offense do what it does and I think that's appealing to tight ends and no matter where they are whether they're in the portal whether they're in high school it's probably what appealed to to Jordan Washington someone who has a little bit more receiving acumen right now than maybe blocking acumen and but he knows that hey as long as he learns to block and does what he needs to do, he's going to have the chance to catch passes. It applied to, to Jatavian Sanders, and Justin is probably going to apply to Cade Brewer this year. Or excuse me, uh, gosh, Gunner Helm. Yes. I'm mixing up my white tight ends. Oh, you're, back in, you're back in that 2016 ice storm, huh? Uh, yes. Oh, yes, that was Lake Travis. Do you remember who they flipped him from? That's SMU. You. There you go. There you go. Points for my boys. Uh, I think Sark is going to have, you know, he's been like a basketball coach when it comes to wide receiver depth chart and, and rotation. It's a short bench. He's only going out with those guys that he trusts. I, I think that opens up a little bit more with this group. I, I think there isn't a dominant guy like an, uh, an Xavier Worthy, but I think you can, you've got some really, really good guys. And I feel like there's going to be situations where he gets creative and gets away from tendencies 
you're going to see until someone establishes himself going all the way through spring, I think it's going to be a mixture of five, six, seven guys all getting good amount of reps. For me, it's going to be fun to watch this spring because I think that bench is going to get a little bit longer in 2024. I like this one uh, from Lemonhead10. Over under on eight and a half portal commits. Right now you got Kendrick Blackshire, Silas Bolden, Andrew McCuba, Trey Moore, Matthew Golden, Isaiah Bond, and uh, am I missing one more? Um, oh, help me out here. What did he put the number at? Eight and he, a half. He has over under at eight and a half. And right now, you got three the, wide receivers Trey Moore, Blackshire, that's five, Makuba, six. So it's six. So that would get you to what? So over under on eight and a half. I think it's over because DeAndre no, think, is in the situation. Yeah, I think they'll take two more. Uh, it take, they, they'll take two more, and if they don't address defensive tackle, they're going to uh, look in the spring. And there's going to be more people – there's going to be more bodies available in the spring than normal. Uh, you can tell by how uh, there's more bodies uh, in this fall than last year. It's going to be the same thing in the spring. So I don't think we've seen – especially with all this new coaching turnover, there's going to be players that go through the spring. They're not going to be – they're going to fall out of favor with the new coaches. There's going to be uh, more bodies that are are showing up. I like how we've got uh, this, the, the, the laundry list of famed – Texas uh, Longhorn tight ends over here. Andrew Beck was always a good player. I remember watching him run a run a uh, a shuttle run against Otara Alaka, and he smoked Otara Alaka twice. And nobody would have believed that I would have said that because everybody thought Otara Alaka long and very fast uh, would have. Uh, one of them's in the NFL, and one of them's not. And that that Andrew Beck returned an eighty nine yard kick this year too. Dude, Jeff Swain. Let me tell you something. He was a locker room badass. But my favorite part is when he came out. They made him available. Once, one time, and he came out and he spoke his mind and he starts cussing, firing off cuss words. And I mean, and he was convincing. He was one of those alpha type guys in the locker room. He was an older guy, I think a Juco guy at some point. Like he had been, he had worked his way, obviously. And then still, you know, when he was playing in the NFL, I'm a big Jeff Swain guy. That guy started talking shit immediately. And it was hilarious because John Bianco said, hey, yeah, that's probably the last time we're going to let him have availability. He he committed when the power was out. I had to go to a wing stop. I saw it on my whatever archaic phone was at the time. I had to go, you know, half a mile down the road to a wing stop and fire it up uh, for a Jeff Swain. Kind of came out of nowhere from what, what was he, where was he at? Butte, Butte Junior College, I think, in, in Northern California. Carved himself. He's carved himself out a pretty good NFL career. He's a feature in our Longhorns in the NFL piece over on Inside Texas. But it's enough tight end talk about wait tight minute, ends. Wait a minute, real quick. Blaine Irby, maybe one of the most talented recruits tight end-wise that Mac Brown ever brought in. And really, you know, the, the, the knee injury, the rice game and all that, 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 that was a sad one because Blaine Irby, to me, was like a much more polished – Andrew Beck. He could play linebacker. He could play tight end. He could do some multiple things. Blaine Irby getting injured was was a big, big hit on Mac Brown that I don't think people ever talk about enough. Yeah, he was silky smooth. So I'll take this Nye Black one. Yeah, Nye Black is going to visit in the coming days. I don't know exactly the day or time. Uh, Texas to me is the favorite. The only thing that uh, could could really you know veer it uh, in a different direction is if they if they prioritize Yurosik. Now Yurosik is going to visit both Georgia and Texas. The way things are leaning right now, I think Texas ends up with uh, with Nye Black and Georgia will probably end up with Urosic. Nye Black, of course, will be able to enroll soon in the coming weeks or so uh, before the 29th to 31st, whatever the last day is. 
He's got a little bit of time, but it's going to have to come to a head pretty quick. That means he'd be able to go through spring ball, which I think is very important uh, for getting on the same page, not only with the quarterback and, the, and as a receiver, but uh, as your blocking duties. You know, that's that's actually what's more time consuming is getting in sync as a as a blocker. Uh, so I lean towards it being Nye Black. I feel very confident they'll get one of them. Here's one. We got to talk about all these different Alabama transfers, it seems like, from Champ Bailey. Uh, hearing rumors that Jaheim Otis is going to hit the transfer portal. Is there any validity to that rumor? So I'd imagine Texas would be all in on that one. You know, rumors are rumors until you see a Hayes Fawcett tweet or you see Pete Nakos or Inside Texas tell you in our transfer portal thread that somebody is is in the transfer portal. Um, this one, I think, seems dependent on whether Freddie Roach is retained by Kalen DeBoer. I don't know if that's been uh, cleared up yet uh, as far as him building out his staff. Uh, but Jaheim Otis is, is – I can't – am I miss – I'm not uh, mixing him up with somebody else. He's a defensive tackle, right? Ginormous defensive tackle. Yeah, he's a no. defensive tackle for Alabama. You watched him this year. You were, you were in Tuscaloosa, I think. I was there. I saw him. Um, I mean – He's big boy. There, it seems like there's a lot of affinity for Texas from Alabama players. Uh, who knows where that may have come from? Of course, a lot of it had to do probably with Jeff Banks and Sark and uh, you know guys like AJ Milwe and, and uh, Kyle Flood. For a lot of these guys, not every single one of them, but for a lot of these guys recruiting them, Jeff Banks we know gets put on basically any big name recruit. I don't know if that's. Uh, how valid that rumor is you can check out Bama online if you if you need to for that but I mean I feel like if Jaheim Hodes does enter the portal Texas would try to find a way to make the numbers work for him to make it his way over to Austin considering the need at that position well yeah I mean they would definitely make a run at him they they know that they they need a defensive tackle they know it more than fans do uh, they're cognizant of that they're also not as worried about the position as fans are but they do know the need going into the SEC yeah, the deal with Alabama is reality's dawning on them. They were getting a discount having Nick Saban as the head coach for so long. Uh, fans were willing to make – players were willing to make it transactional. They'll go to Alabama in hopes of uh, making it to the NFL. You know, now that promise is gone. Uh, and at the same time, you know, other schools, Ole Miss, Texas, uh, Oregon, you know, they're, they're in position to, uh, to capitalize on it. So this, it's been a really bad timing for Alabama to, to go through this. Um, you know, DeBoer's got a, uh, a tough road ahead of them, but they've got to, you know, Alabama's going to have to come to grips with the with the actual market, not the discount they were getting. Justin, we've gotten a good amount of questions about Ryan Williams, the 2024 receiver, who uh, you have a little update on as far as something that happened today. This question involves Jamie French, who I believe is a 2025 uh, five-star receiver as well as suplexus notes. Start with uh, Ryan Williams, and then if there's anything on on Jamie French, uh, with two F's, that's spelled correctly. Uh, what you got? Yeah, um, yeah. Kudos for that. That as well. I, I was impressed with that. Ryan Williams. Yeah, he decommitted almost what a week or maybe two weeks ago. No, about a week ago. Right, right after, right after Saban. Man, has it been that long? It's crazy. It's felt like a. It's felt a lot longer since that time. So much happened. That was such a big, big day, big stretch uh, of football. Yeah, Ryan Williams, uh, Texas has been very involved. It looks like it's going to be an Auburn-Texas battle at this point. Uh, Texas A&M is trying to get in the mix. Of course, he was committed to Holloman Wiggins, who was the wide receiver coach at Alabama at the time. He's now in, in College Station. So I think he gets his foot in the door in that regard. But from what I understand, it's still Auburn-Texas. And Texas has a little bit of buzz. This afternoon, Chris Jackson reportedly was supposed to be in, in home or going to see uh, Williams at some point in, in Sarah Land. And so I think that – 
is big uh, in and of itself. Sark is still going to have a, an in-home visit as well. And, and I know that they're going to try to maximize that probably before or after the official visit uh, in late January. His teammate, quarterback commit, K.J. Lacey, is, is also going to be with him. I think that's huge considering what we know now post-Saban. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Auburn looked pretty good before Saban retired. So this one's, you know, you know, there's a few SEC schools in Oregon that uh, NIL big time. They just do it right. And, and Ole Miss is one of them and, and Auburn is another. And so I think that those are two you got to watch because Auburn gets that final uh, official visit. To me, that's that's pretty large uh, for Jamie French. Really unfamiliar. Uh, Outside of the fact that he was a five-star, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm just echoing what Eric had talked about. Alabama has been getting the Saban brand for a long time. And, and it's funny seeing the outcry on social media of how they just – they think the sport has changed. And the truth is, you know, nothing's changed. It's cyclical. If anything, it's being consistent. It's doing what we've always seen in college sports. And so, uh, yeah, they're open back up. You know, the days of Sark having those wide receivers of Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, John Mechie, uh, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, those days are long gone, fellas. Are they? Maybe. I mean, we can see next year with the, the Texas crew. They have guys with that. No, I was like from Alabama. From Alabama. Oh, oh, yeah. Alabama. yeah. Well, that leads us to a, a pretty good question, I think, from Ski Breck. How far does Bama fall in the SEC next year? Big losses of the portal at a time where they can't reload via the portal. Unfair. Bama will suffer. You saw a lot of, uh, I think, comments that, Justin, you were talking about uh, saying basically like, yeah, Bama's can only really get pilfered. They were late to the party because of Saban's late retirement uh, to being able to hit the portal. They can't really go after guys because they don't know what they need quite yet. They're trying to stabilize their roster. So that's going to hurt them. Um, they are going to, I mean, at the same time, it's still a Bama roster. You can lose a lot of it. They will. They're going to still be an attractive place in the portal um, oh, because it's Alabama. And that's still going to be a good roster. Now, is it going to be a 10-win floor roster? That's going to change. And I even, I think highly of Kalen DeBoer. I think that that Kane Womack hire is a really good one uh, at defensive coordinator. But does that mean that they're going to be a 10-win floor team? Probably not. And then Eric, you know, we've seen in recruiting, uh, not just in uh, in the portal, but even in high school recruiting that Auburn and Georgia's not going anywhere, but Auburn has started to uh, take advantage of, you know, a, a pretty good year under Hugh Freeze and a very committed fan base who wants to get back at Alabama for the last 17 years. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a battle of resources is what it really boils down to resources and want to. Uh, Texas has resources and want to. Now they didn't always have want to. They always had resources, but they would go towards facilities rather than a parking lot full of Dodge Chargers. Uh, and so right now Texas has their their uh, want to and resolve aimed in the right direction. I think Auburn Auburn always pops up every now and then. It, it's whack a mole. They'll win a national championship and then disappear for five or ten years and then come back and win another ch uh, championship uh, before winning before disappearing again. Uh, so, so college football cyclical. It's why, you know, you, you could go back to the years and look at Twitter and see Texas was never going to be good again from fans or, or Alabama's going to be good forever. And it, that just doesn't make sense. That's a, a total disregard for the history of the sport. Um, legends come and go. Nick Saban's the, the biggest legend of all time at, at coach. And so there's going to there's going to be a step back for sure. But Alabama's going to have to show the ability that Nick Saban always had the ability to adapt. Uh, they're going to have to get their ducks in a row if they want to be competitive. They, you know, just having a very good coaching staff is not enough to get it done in this climate. 
Uh, they do have a good coaching staff. We'll see if they have the resolve to uh, to do what it takes to to be competitive in the marketplace. Uh, right now, they're they're they've got some catching up to do. They'll they'll be okay next year. They're not going to be good. Uh, the SEC should come down to Texas and Georgia right now. Two teams that have resolve, alignment, and stacked rosters. I've got a question, Joe, for 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 Eric, and only and he'll understand this reference immediately. What if Kalen DeBoer? Is it possible he could be George Seifert? Uh, there's not enough talent holdover. Yeah, George won a Super Bowl because of Bill Walsh and that that carryover roster. Um, you know, we saw my, it happened at Miami. Uh, Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl that really didn't have anything to do with him, right? Amen. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, there's just not enough talent left behind. He would he would have been the coach to do it for sure if uh, if they would have kept the receivers and, and not lost the talent that they did. Right. Uh, you know, Caleb Downs are getting asked about Caleb. They're not Texas is not getting Caleb Downs. Quit getting your own hopes up. Uh, Georgia's going to have to win some of these, but no, they, there's just not enough talent carryover for him to do it. He's going to have to rebuild that thing pretty good. You know, if he can win eight, nine games next year, I think that would be, that would be an accomplishment, but you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can get out of Milrow because they lived off that deep, deep passing game and that more, uh, yeah, more, more elaborate passing game than what Milrow is capable of Milrow. You can build a fantastic offense around him, but it's not really the direction that DeBoer has gone. I, I can't remember. I only watched a handful of Fresno State games when when DeBoer was head coach. But do y'all remember Jake Hayner, the 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 guy who basically took blow after blow? I think at UCLA one year, and then yeah. they they ended up winning at UCLA. He wasn't much of a runaround guy, but I feel like he was more mobile than uh, than Michael Penix was, and he's on the NFL roster right now. So I feel like. DeBoer and and if it is Ryan Grubb, I don't think that's been officially announced yet, but it's kind of been reported. If it is Ryan Grubb, I kind of feel like they're going to know how to, to handle um, Jalen Milrow. And, and Jalen Milrow is a guy <laughs> whose athleticism can make up for you know problems and whose athleticism can cause problems for the opposing team. Got a couple good questions. I found this one from our guy Chris Bennett. What yeah. will the rotation look like in 2024? Um, I, I saw this was being discussed on, on Inside Texas about, you know, you have obviously your big three of Worthy, Mitchell, and Whittington. Uh, you have your tight end of uh, Jatavian Sanders. And if you wanted to switch one of those guys off, you would switch Whittington off for either Malik Ogbo or Gunnar Helm, however you wanted to do that. But Aside from Jonte Cook, they don't they didn't rotate that much. And even with him, they didn't rotate that much. And you saw Sark even lament that about halfway through the year, saying, Hey, you know, I I should have gotten Jonte Cook in the game. But a comment I saw on Inside Texas, I believe, was, you know, if you start going the full Tom Herman and do hockey shifts at wide receiver, you can play your coverages differently if you know that the three guys out there and and no disrespect are you know, Casey Kane with with what he had shown to be over the course of his career, a true yeah. freshman in DeAndre Moore, and then Jonte Cook, who'd probably be the most threatening guy that you have to handle. So do you see maybe next year with this having, you know, maybe maybe five guys that can threaten, if if not four guys who can threaten? Uh, just thinking off the top of my head, you got John Tay Cook, they've Isaiah got, Bond. They've got six guys that can threaten the field. It's just a matter of whether or not they're all going to actually get rotated in. That's up to Sark. I mean, uh, you know, so you got this is pretty pretty obvious to me. I think it's going to be uh, Golden to the field, Cook to the slot, and Bond uh, to the boundary. You know, of course they'll move around. It's not it's not set in stone. That's not how Sark is. Then you've got Bolden behind Cook. Uh, you've got Wingo behind Bond at, at boundary. 
And then you've got uh, DeAndre Moore to the field who could play inside or outside. So that's six guys that are capable of playing a lot of snaps next year. Whether or not uh, Sark actually does that, you know, those guys are going to have to earn their way through spring ball and August camp. You know, Chris Bennett is a big fan. This guy is tremendous. I wanted to give him a shout out, and, and he's been real good on here. Uh, yeah, that's what I was talking about a little bit earlier. I think that bench is going to get a little bit deeper this year just because you don't have, like, definite guys like you had in AD and you had in Xavier and, and Jordan to an extent. These guys are really going to try to separate themselves. And, and listen to this. I believe Parker Livingstone is now the tallest wide receiver on the, on the roster. And so I feel like this spring is going to – that's why I'm, I'm eager to see what that room looks like because I think you're going to see some mix and matching. I think you're going to see some more creativity. And somebody's going to have to rise to the top. And, and, and hopefully it's going to be, you know, <laughs> one of the above. You know, tomorrow on Inside Texas, our guy Ian Boyd uh, plans on writing about this. Receivers have been the, the big, uh, you know, three of the six – Portal additions for Texas have been from the receive in the, at the receiver position. Uh, I guess we can talk really quickly about Silas uh, Bolden, uh, the addition out of Oregon State who committed to Texas uh, without going to his plan, Washington, Arizona, or USC. You know, you're losing Keelan Robinson. Uh, you have Jaden Blue coming back, but he's kind of profiling a bit more as a, a true running back that they throw to out of the back, backfield as opposed to you know, someone who maybe may have been a gadget guy, and that's a lot of due credit to him, is Silas Bolden, maybe this receiver uh, kind of fit into that role, maybe with more receiving targets uh, that Keelan Robinson had in his last couple of years. I mean, you know, Sark's going to have to show some things that he hasn't really shown a whole lot of in his time at Texas, uh, but there's obvious ways that you could you could see Bolden getting – uh, touches in a lot of different uh, ways. I mean, he's, he, to me, he's going to stretch the field horizontally as much as he's going to stretch it vertically. Um, you know, I think you can do a lot of sweeps to him, screens to him, uh, those jailbreak screens, slip screens. But you know what's interesting is that guy has really good ball skills as far as adjusting to the ball. Um, obviously, after he catches the ball, he's got great acceleration. You could even line him up in two back sets and, uh, and give him the ball off tackle, I think. So I'm curious to see. I think they did it as much to shore up uh, special teams, you know, they put a high priority on special teams. We talked about that uh, with the DeCamillis hire uh, at the start of the show. I think it's as much about having him as a returner back there. They've got about four or five guys that are dangerous returners, but some of those guys are going to be important uh, position players. You know, do you want to put Matthew Golden back there on kickoffs if he's also your top receiver, which he has a chance to be? Matt Golden does have a chance to be the top receiver on the team next year. Um, so I think they're they're covering their bases all around and then also improve depth. Uh, Bolden at slot gives you a backup at all at, at the other positions because a he can back up Jonte, but he can also become a starter and Jonte could go to field or boundary if one of Bond or Golden gets hurt. So he protects you in a lot of different ways. And then of course there's a lot of different gadget things that you can do with them. Right now on January 17th, 2024, I know it's going to change, but let's say you played a game tomorrow with this current roster. Justin, who's your kick returner and who's your punt returner? Uh, Matthew Golden and Silas Bolden. Eric? Man, I don't know. I've seen Jonte Cook look really natural as a punt returner. Um, I might go Jaden Blue as a kick returner. Uh, Jaden Blue and and uh, Jonte Cook, I think I would go. But, man, they have a lot of different options. I, I would go – I think Bolden had – I would put him at punt returner. Bolden, you know, that's one reason they're bringing them. Right. That, <laughs> that uh, 5'8", you know, 160 – or, yeah, 5'8", 160. That, that works at punt return. 
Um, kick return, uh, yeah, straight line speed is important, but I'm not sure. I, I, I might use Bolden for both, just kind of thinking about the idea that maybe they don't have as many snaps for him on the field on conventional downs. We'll watch some of Matthew Golden's track exploits his junior and senior year, then come back to this. Hey, it's a really good problem to have. Bolden's not going to break a tackle on kick return. That's the problem. So you want a guy that can run through an arm. He's Turpin. Jaden Blue can do it. can do it. I'm just not, you know, who's the most valuable guy probably doesn't need to be out there. So that's part of the calculus. Well, we saw how that went this year. It's all an interesting, you know, decision that Jeff Banks has to make. Make sure you follow our guy, Michael, you know, lead, like, and subscribe. You can see in that bottom right-hand corner, you can press subscribe right there. We got a super cat chat from Kevin Jones. Justin, this one's a good one for you. What about cross-training Livingstone to tight end to catch intermediate balls? I'm not sure if uh, Parker can can get that big uh, as far as being a tight end. Justin? Yeah, um, I don't think he wants anything to do with playing tight end. Parker is a very uh, smooth athlete. You know, he, he ran track early in high school. He was a phenomenal baseball player, could have played baseball at the next level. Uh, you know, big kid. Like I said earlier, he might be the tallest guy in that wide receiver room now. He's going to be your your quintessential outside vertical guy. Um, yeah, it, it may sound nice in an era where the tight end can be in hybrid and could be moved around a lot. And, and maybe you do that a little bit with Parker, but if you're trying to tell him he's going to have to block half the time, that kid is headed to Arkansas or to Texas Tech with his brother. He is not about to hang around and play tight end, in my opinion. I think Sark has always envisioned him as a kid that is a, a has an upside playing that outside role, taking that safety with him, being that vertical threat, and also being, like I said, athletic. The last time I went and saw him, he was uh, playing third base, uh, in a playoff game in Crandall, Texas. And so, and he's, he's, he's a great kid, but tight end, I just think you're not at, you're asking a little too much of a guy, Jordan Washington. That's a guy I like at tight end, the basketball guy, you know, my love, if that, if a, a tight end plays basketball, it's almost a given. I want him. And this kid is, a, is it really, I think fits that mold more. Let Parker stay outside and do his thing. He's he's no Garrett Gray, is what you're saying, right? Y'all remember Jake that Oliver. experiment? Oh, I remember watching Garrett. Uh, I remember Garrett at a camp. It was um, oh my god, this is gonna break some hearts. I can't. I probably shouldn't even share it. Uh, but he was at the same camp as Cortland Sutton, and uh, you know they offered Garrett Gray and not Sutton. So, uh, <laughs> well then you remember Tom Herman's like, you know what? That's my tight end, and uh, they lost to Maryland yeah. for the first oh my time. Lord. So. We've, seen that. We've seen some really bad evaluations over time. But, you know, Parker's only going to weigh 215. Now, it's going to be a lean and well-sculpted and muscled-up 215 uh, in time, but he's not a tight end. He is a guy that I think is nimble enough to work from the slot if you want to try to create some mismatches. But, no, nope, he'll never be a tight end. That's why they brought in Jordan Washington, as Justin said, and they love Jordan Washington. You might see Jordan Washington on the field next year, depending on how these uh, next couple of weeks go. We got this question from Rob S. What's Arch Manning's status? Uh, if y'all remember from our coverage of the Sugar Bowl, uh, he spoke to the media for about an hour. It's very interesting. They had Sark on a stage, players on a, like little individual tables, a few on a stage, and then the rest of the roster kind of on a bench on the side. Well, Arch was over with the rest of the roster uh, on the bench on the side, but you saw a huge huddle around him. But, man, he talked and talked, and he has no intention on – on leaving Texas, but I did like this 
suggestion. Oh, let me see if I can find it. It was a really good one. You know, we were talking about our uh, our punt return, uh, trying to figure out what you know what should happen at punt return next year. Ski Breck put Arch back there since he runs twenty point one miles an hour. It's it's just crazy enough to work, guys. Right? No, man. He probably he probably get another two million dollars in NIL deals because he'd probably house one some kind of way. You know, the Mannings just kind of amble their way through life, and and you know, it seems like luck's always shining on their side. Uh, he's a good talent. He's going to surprise people. There's going to be a lot of people that still don't know how good of an athlete he is. He was running away from Texas safeties uh, last August. Of course, we took that as a sign that the Texas safeties might might be lacking some speed, which showed up on the field quite a bit, but. He's a hell of an athlete, man. People sell art short because of his uncles. Eric, don't forget one of the times uh, uh, seeing Arch playing basketball, him and Will <laughs> Randall, they won the state championship their junior season. That's an yeah. athlete right there. Basketball, yeah. you see, it always comes together. I'm telling yeah. you. He can pick up his feet. Yes, tough text. Thank That's you. That's a very good subscriber right there. Guys, make sure that you're liking and subscribing to the channel, please. He's an IT subscriber and commenter. Uh, yes, that's one of the things you got to love about Jordan Washington. One of my buddies as a high school official had his game this year and uh, was texting me the next morning talking about, man, he, you know, he looked better as a receiver than he expected, which, you know, I don't I, that, that shouldn't have been surprising. He's a hell of a, a receiver. But what he really liked about him was the effort and want to that he showed as a blocker. Uh, and that gives him a chance to be a very good two-way receiver because we already know he's going to be a very good receiver, can run the whole route tree, all that good stuff. Uh, just give him a little time to grow into his body. He's only about 220 pounds right now, but he'll weigh 240 in time. Uh, he's got a lot more upside than the uh, networks would have you believe. One of the things I remember, I think at one of the events, the summer recruiting events last year, uh, when meeting Jordan Washington, and remember, Langham Creek and, and Cy Fair aren't too far. They're in that two – they're in that 290 corridor, I believe, uh, up in Northwest Houston. So he and Trey, o Trey Owens was a regular at recruiting events, and that meant Jordan Washington was as well. Yeah, His hands are huge. Like when you think of a tight end's hands, that's what you think of. Um, and, you know, he was uh, – he had Texas A&M. I think he was supposed to take a visit to Texas A&M yes. right after he, he made his, uh, his Texas trip. Uh, didn't make that trip. Obviously, he decided to shut it down, and uh, he shut it down real fast. I think he, you know, there are guys like Sam Ellinger, Roshan Johnson, even Hudson Card. I think over the course of their recruitments, they make it extremely clear to college coaches, "Don't call me because I'm not going to pick up." I think Jordan Washington uh, was definitely in that crew. So Huff Tex, thank you for that. We got a super chat from Chris Bennett and. Eric, uh, you posted about this over on Inside Texas earlier tonight, but any update on Bo Davis's replacement? Roderick, uh, I still want that Roderick Wright vote. I just want that clear. My vote is for Roderick Wright, if it mattered. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with whoever Sark, uh, <laughs> Sark has, right? I mean, everybody was freaking out. Not everybody, but some people were freaking out. He'd take the Alabama job. If you're worried about a coach taking the Alabama job, you should probably trust him enough to hire a defensive line coach. That's That's kind of my overall take on it. Uh, but it's going to be an NFL guy. And if he's in the NFL, uh, I think that's a good sign. That's, you know, clearly a sign that you've uh, climbed the ladder, at least to some degree. Um, you've passed the test with some good coaches. If it's Roderick Wright, uh, look who hired him, D'Amico Ryans. Uh, that says quite a bit. Uh, but we don't know who it's going to be. It's going to be an NFL guy for sure. Uh, but, you know, your guess is as good as mine on that one. Uh, I wish I had a name for you. Uh, they don't want it out for some reason. It's been very tight-lipped. 
Um, and we'll see. You know, I mean, it's I think uh, everybody can't. There's not a lot of patience when it comes to to timelines. Well, you know, if, if things are good with a recruit, when's he going to announce If If they have have a coaching search, you know, everybody wants the guy to, to be announced immediately. You know, just let it play out. It's not going to change anything in the grand scheme of things. Chris Bennett, thank you for that one. I want to go back to this question. And we we, thank you, Chris. Went, we went over some of this aspect uh, in some of our discussions, but I think this kind of it talks a little bit about how healthy the Texas roster is. Scholarship numbers will be interesting moving forward with all the portal additions. We've already shed all the gristle, and some meat will have to be taken off the roster before August. You know, I don't think that that's a, a poor comparison. Uh, this is a, a much better roster. In fact, probably the second best roster heading into the SEC. But um, we don't. Where where is it at roster wise? Are they eighty nine or ninety? Is that I sound about 80, right? I thought, was, I thought it was eighty seven, but I, I never really care what number they're at because it's going to work itself out. I mean, it's it doesn't matter what number they are. They, they've got time to get under it. Uh, you've got a whole whole spring ball where guys are going to not like where they're on the depth chart. Um, you know, there's always a guy that screws up in the offseason that's not doing the right things and, and uh, you know, avails himself as a, as a bad culture fit and he's out. Uh, so it just always works out. There are guys that just realize they're not going to play. And some guys just don't want to play anymore. I mean, it's it, it always works out. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry about numbers. And there's definitely a few there's there's some guys on the team that have a long road to contributing. We don't ever want to say that they don't have a chance because guys break out late in their career all the time. Uh, but there's some guys on the on the pro in the program that have a long road ahead of them. And uh, some of them are going to look for uh, for quicker paths to the field. I think you can literally, Joe, you can literally get rid of some meat. I think you, you may see a couple offensive linemen, some of those young offensive linemen, uh, come uh, potentially hit the portal after spring. The 2023 class, you know, that was morely, that was more the developmental group, if you'll remember, whereas the 2022 guys were more the uh, come in and play immediately and, and get a lot of experience to this point. And so literally, Bobby, I could see some meat being shaved off from, from the large human deposit in the offensive line room. There, there has to be some, like Eric said, it'll work itself out. There has to be, you know, some things happening, but they are – Sark has shown he's got a penchant for like for foreseeing this stuff. And, and you think you think of it from an NFL sense, it just, you know, churning your roster, so to speak. And so I think literally there will be a little bit of meat. I think you could see an offensive lineman or two hit the portal post spring. Yeah. Another if you have a guy, if you have add a guy that's going to be like the sixth or seventh or eighth guy on your roster out of 85, the guy that's 85 is just not going to. He's just not going to make it. I mean, that's just all it is. Cool. Not with the portal availability now. It's so much easier now, Eric. They could yeah. back then. It was hard because you had to do everything kind of behind the scenes. Now they put your they put your name in a database for two thousand college coaches. I think it's it makes it easier, and I think Sark has become a really adept at, at at utilizing that. Yeah, Eric, you mentioned something about there may be guys who just don't align with the culture or who just you know make a mistake as. 18, 19, 20-year-olds can. On on the opposite end of that, I remember Jaden Alexis was in the portal and he played in the spring game because he was a culture fit. He was a mature player who I think the coaches were honest with about playing time and him finding another opportunity, but they still gave him a chance to put a little bit more film on, on display at the spring game before he went and started searching for his next place. And you know, we already had exit interviews during this past, you know, I guess, what, a month ago or so. Uh, there were opportunities for players to kind of learn and 
who knows, maybe they were told, hey, you know, this spring you can compete, but here's where you are right now looking at the two deep. There are probably a lot of guys that Steve Sarkeesian really likes in that group and is going to give an opportunity, but is also going to be forthright and honest about, about like, hey, this is kind of where you're at and, you know, it'll work itself out that way as well. Yeah, I mean, there's guys going into spring that they'll think uh, ahead of time, hey, this guy's probably not going to be around after spring. This happened last year, actually, uh, with a player or two. And then uh, they had a good spring, and it was somebody else that didn't have a good spring. And, it, it was, you know, that's why you have the competition. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, you know, just in general, I don't really worry about numbers. Uh, they mean a lot less than they once did. Class numbers, they go as high as they want. Portal, you take as many as you want, and then you just have to make it right on the back end. So uh, we've got another uh, super chat here. Yeah, from Justin Yarbrough. Who will be next year's thousand yard rusher or two guys over 750 most likely? And do off-season workouts begin next week? We kind of we even had some content about thousand yard rushers. Sark loves to talk about how he's always had a thousand yard rusher. He takes some license with that. It's usually he he's pretty much had a guy reach a thousand total yards every year but one. And I think one of those years was uh, it was either his it was his first or maybe his second as play calling OC at USC where he had three different guys with like 700 yards. Like I think Joe McKnight was on that team and uh, just, you know, three guys tallied 2100 yards. Uh, yeah. But that's all to say he's really good at getting a uh, thousand yards out of his running backs next year. I mean, it's it, to me, it's either CJ Baxter or nobody. Uh, because I don't see Jaden Blue being the guy who gets – I know he can hit the home runs, Justin, but I don't see him getting the volume to be able to get to 1,000 unless Jaden Blue is uh, uh, up in New York for a Heisman. My guess is two guys over 750 more likely because C.J. Baxter is going to get his reps. Jaden Blue showed us this, this last season he has earned the right to step up and get those reps. I'm a two guys over 750 more likely guy. I know Eric salivating. What's your call? Well, I got to do some quick division here. I'm not very good at the maths. Let me see. No, here. That's not, he has never lied oh, to you. All right. Yeah. I'm going Jaden Blue because he, he's only going to need 100 and 120, 130 carries, 150 carries max. You think he's going to maintain that yards per carry? I mean, 150 carries is a 6.6 yards a carry. <laughs> what, did he get this year? What, did, what did he get this year? I'm telling you, dude. I know. I just, that's hard to make. That's Chris Johnson, 2008, man. Jaden Blue is going to blow up <laughs> next Titans. year. Man, that's some serious. That's very I'm a, I'm a, Jay, I'm a Jaden Blue truther, and I love Baxter. But here's the thing. Blue's got to go. Blue's got to get his numbers and go. So the next year, Baxter can get his numbers and go and then keep the assembly line moving to the uh, to the NFL. I still think Baxter's in the front of that line in Sark's vision. That's just probably, yeah, probably because he's got a little more power, but he's got to start running like he has more power. If he ran as hard as Jaden Blue, uh, yeah. then he'd be that stay dream healthy. back that Sark's thinking thinking of. And stay healthy. He was dinged up a number of times. Obviously, true freshman year. And don't forget, Christian Clark may have the lightest feet of the new guys in that room. It ain't happening this year, though. It's not happening. I know, this year. I know. But Trey Wisner, Savion Red. I love what Deshard Choice said during the Sugar Bowl availability. He told his running backs in the spring. Mm -hmm. Guys, we are the question mark. No one knows. We are the, the main question mark on this team. And he was proud to tell him in December, we became a plus, a positive on this team. That, that room is ridiculous, and I cannot wait to see what, what, what happens. And let's, get, let's get to Nathan's question here real quick. You just asked a very quick question. Is, um, 
Yeah, our bold and black should go and enroll now or in the summer. Uh, they'll enroll now. So they'll yeah. go through spring ball. You know, both will get you know, on the same page with the offense and defense respectively. And, yeah, they're ready to go. So they're, they're, they're able to go. Guys can arrive at Texas uh, up until January 31st, I think, would be the last day that they could bring somebody in and still uh, uh, be in the spring semester. Yeah, that's the that's the 12th class day, and that's basically the last day where you can go to either the dean or somebody at the school and be like, hey, can you get this guy in? And when you got Steve Sarkeesian and uh, some other people asking, that right. usually gets taken care of. Got a super chat from Kyle Witherspoon. Do we have a sponsorship with Hover of Boston since uh, defensive linemen can't fit in Lambos? Hey, man, Jake Majors works, uh, had an internship, I believe, with, with Lamborghini of Austin kind of a similar opportunity that uh, Jordan Whittington received. Um, not the same sponsorship deal I think that Bijan Robinson got, but uh, if Jake Majors can fit in one, I think that those guys can can custom rig uh, an opportunity for a 6'1", 300-pounder, 320-pounder to get in. Maybe not to Mondre Sweat, but uh, right. uh, Hummers. I, are- I, hope, I, hope, I hope he doesn't sell yeah. Hummers. Do they still make Hummers? <laughs> You don't want a Hummer, man. They're bad. Still made Hummers. Get you a big, get you a big four by four truck. Don't get a Hummer. The best thing, the best thing to roll around Austin is what what our boy Russ has. UT Ortho. He's got a Bronco. Yes, yes. That's a perfect one for rolling around Austin. He's right. Justin got a good one for you. Jeff Grimes is Texas legit interested in Terry Bussey and vice versa. Ooh, why'd you have to add the vice versa? Ugh. Texas is legit interested. Uh, they are making a push. Eric has reported it. I have reported it. Posted it inside Texas. Uh, a story uh, for, uh, on on Intel on basically kind of wrapping and, and re- recapping his recruitment right now. Please go to InsideTexas.com. Give us a shot. We've got a deal right now, a dollar for one month. Let us earn your business. We, we're constantly putting out content, and, and it's a good piece. Now, vice versa. That's that's the the end of it. You know, Bussy as at this moment is wide open. I'm told by multiple people uh, in his circle and over there in Timpson that, that he is legitimately wide open for a number of reasons, uh, from lots of different changes from at, at A&M and at LSU, Georgia coming a little late to the party, Bama, for instance. Um, Texas is in prime, you know, pouncing position. I just don't hear much about Texas from Bussy and from his, his circle. I know Texas wants to make that final push, and I feel like they will. Listen, there's three weeks before he has to sign. Get him on campus, and I think that's when this recruitment starts. Anytime up, up until now, I feel like it's all, look, Texas wants him, but at some point, Bussy's going to have to kind of step in and take that engagement. He's going to have to go ahead and, and accept that because right now he's going to go visit Georgia, he's going to visit Texas A&M again, and he's going to visit LSU and I think those three right now probably have the biggest advantage. LSU probably has been the, the, the secret kind of sleeper team, even after he committed to AM. And so, and, and don't forget, he may stay with AM. Terry Bussey is a very strong willed kid. He doesn't necessarily, I respect the fact he's never decommitted from AM this entire time, uh, staying you know, with that new staff, Elko and Wiggins, who was recruiting him also with Saban at Alabama. I wish Texas could get him on campus. That that makes this recruitment real. Until he's there, I don't see it. 
You see this question from Miguel at the bottom for offense or defense as, as it relates to Bussy? Uh, that's the beautiful thing. That's the weirdest thing. Every kid has a preference. So on God, I feel, I feel like every kid is – and it's usually offense because kids like to score touchdowns rather than hit other kids. <laughs> but he doesn't care. He feels like wherever he goes, that coach is going to know where he should go, where he belongs. He's like, that's not my choice. That's the coach's choice. He'll, they'll know where I, I'm supposed to be. If I'm at Alabama and Nick Saban says, I'm going to be on defense because he wants to work with me at, or he did, you know, before beforehand, you know, with Texas, it was that wide receiver. That's who he was talking to the wide receiver coach more so. And so at the end of the day, I don't think he has a preference. I think he's so such a great kid, such an awesome human being that whatever the coach tells him, that's where he's going to play because he's going to trust. That's the coach. He tells me what to do. He should be a slot receiver. In a perfect world, he goes to Texas. He goes. He plays slot receiver. Aaron Butler says, "You know what? I want to play defense." Uh, and then things start to work out a little bit. But I, you know, I think Texas has always felt he doesn't want to be in a big city. And uh, maybe Justin uh, feels same or, or different. I don't know. But that's kind of been Texas's feel. Why? And, I, and partially why I think they haven't uh, been as consistent pushing for him uh, despite his talent. I like this question from Jeff Cook, so inside Texas member. Thank you for the question. Does Texas run dime in 2024? They had the personnel to do it. I think there were some times where they deployed a, a package that they had Maurice Blackwell in, kind of as a I don't want to say tweener linebacker because that's middle kind of more of a middle rotation now. Yeah. But he was kind of their dime, you know. In he would be the the liaison, I guess, to say between the linebacker core. Uh, and the secondary, but it's looking like they're going to have enough good cover guys and maybe even more depending on what happens with Jabbar Muhammad to where dime could be a real conceivable option uh, in this, in this upcoming season. We're never going to see that three, two, six lightning package again uh, as a base defense, but I, I feel like there's definitely enough room to carve out some opportunities for some situational dime in the upcoming season. Eric, you got thoughts on that one? Yeah, Especially with, with Barron coming back. and Didn't uh, they do some it. of that against Texas Tech? Isn't that where we saw some of that? I, I think there was either. some of it. I don't remember seeing much dime this season. So, yeah, I don't know. If you, if you don't put dime in for Washington, who are you putting it in for? So, <laughs> yeah, I don't, Good point. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, we'll have to, that's something I won't really theorize too much about. I'll probably just try to get as much information as I can. Uh, in the off season leading up to spring ball, and certainly in spring ball, we'll have we'll have some uh, some understanding of that. And of course, that might not be something they even put in until August. So I, I don't know. We'll we'll have to poke around on that. It's it's an interesting question. Heading to the SEC, I wonder they're going to have to come up with all kinds of new game plans. You know, this is they're, they're running through the conference for the first time. They do have some familiarity with uh, with a few of the coaches, but it's going to be interesting to see. And, and we don't even know what the influence that Johnny Nansen is going to bring as a new co-DC. So we're, we're going to be on top of that to try to see uh, any changes that they're making with coverages for sure. There's a good one from David Rawls over under on picks for Makuba. Uh, I'll double check how many he's even had in his career, but playing that deep safety spot, uh, which is where he's more, most likely to, to end up at this point. And with the range that we now he he can play a versatile and and play versatility and be a nickel. That's probably going to be a combination of you know John I. Barron at the top, uh, followed by uh, Jalen Gilbo, mm -hmm. maybe Austin Jordan, heck maybe Warren Roberson when he can look there as well. Back no, Roberson's, the Roberson's still at corner. They like him still at corner. corner. 
Yeah. Makuba um, only has one career interception, and he's played a lot of football for Clemson. He had a lot of picks in seven on seven when I watched him. Let me, uh, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say three or four. You know, Jaron Thompson had one pick uh, last year in the last game of the season. He had three this season. Um, you know, I think uh, I think one thing that's going to help him out is they're going to see better edge rushing. So you're going to see some balls floating out there, uh, maybe airmailed a couple. Um, but yeah, him playing deep safety and some of his numbers are down. They're depressed just by playing nickel. Nickels don't t- tend to have as many uh, picks as safety. So, you know, I'll say three or four for him. David, I'm going with Michael Taff will have more picks than Makuba. He had a good run this year. It's not a bad bet now. That kid uh, smells the ball. Yeah, he's got great eyes. I like I, this one from the Rational Texan. How do you guys feel about the trend of players reclassifying, whether it's Ryan Williams, Julian Sayan, uh, Quinn Ewers? Uh, football doesn't seem like a sport where it's a good idea. Is that a fad? Well, with NIL, uh, that's that's certainly a, a big factor um, into it. Um, and, and as far as uh, Quinn goes, obviously, you know, NIL starting the NFL clock, that's another big factor. That was it. Uh, but, you know, some of the, these players are old for their age or old for their grade to where they have probably the, the physical, just enough physical maturity to be fine as a freshman, probably taking scout team snaps. Uh, but overall, I, I feel there's a lot more off-field uh, in, in uh, what's not instigators, a lot more off-field motivation than on-field opportunities uh, that factors into declaring and or reclassifying early. There's just a lot of money to be made for them to go in a year early. And these the the three guys you you talked about are probably all NFL players. Ryan Williams, uh, Quinn certainly are. Uh, saying I just need to see a little bit more, but he seems like he's legit. He's kinda, yeah, he seems like he's legit. So. Um, you know, they could still play four years in college and get paid for four years rather than going waiting a year in high school and leaving after three. It's it's a it's a weird trend. And as more states, I think, start getting into, you know, where Texas and where, you know, Florida and California started NIL, most are on board now. The the thing that may dissuade this is if individual states start letting high schoolers reach it. And that's that's a weird, weird category of, of law to, to kind of delve into. It's never seemed like the UIL has been really high on letting kids get NIL. And I, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, they're either making that decision for themselves or they've got some parental uh, uh, people trying to make a little bit of money off of it, in my opinion. So sometimes it's not parents. Sometimes it's grandparents. Sometimes it's aunts. It's that uncle. It's those cousins. It's all of the above. Sometimes it, it can, it, it does not make it better. Sounds like the, uh, sounds like the basketball game's going well, huh? What's the score on that one? <laughs> uh, it is. Let's see. 73-68 nights with uh, about 40 seconds left. So, oh, um, hey, 9-9 nine nine will get you in, but there's a there's a long way to go until uh, 9-9. Nine nine Remember, Del Conte game. loves basketball. I think, obviously, Terry's got a, a long leash. And you, if you make the tournament, you're going to be safe at Texas, essentially, with the way football's going. But, man, people are coming down on Terry fast. And it's like, man, he's recruited well, but – 
You need to see the product. This is coming off an Elite Eight season where they were, what, 10 minutes from a Final Four? Yeah. yeah. That would have bought him a lot of years. <laughs> you would think. You would think. All right, I like this one. It's a little bit more bigger picture. And we may not have to, you know, go with this, uh, you know, distri distribution, but it's a good little conversation. How do you see the college football playoff allocation by conference? SEC four or five, Big Ten three, ACC, Big 12, Notre Dame, and other one. A lot of it depends on what they decide to do. Right now they have the what the five, the five power five conference champions as automatic bids. Well, one power five conference is two teams right now. So they haven't voted on that, I don't think, but the Pac-12 slash Pac-2 is not going to maintain its status quo. Uh, so they may, you know, knock that down um, at, at, at some point. Um, the Big Ten is going to probably – Big Ten and SEC are going to have equal numbers, I feel like, year over year. Really? And, it, and it's just going to – yeah, I mean, it could be four for the SEC and then three for the Big Ten. With but like, Oregon and Washington, yeah, you're right, you're right. And then as far as the rest, you have to remember one is always going to go to the G5. So whenever you look at the power, those college football playoff rankings, it's not the top 12 in those rankings. It's the, you know, top 11. And then, you know, who's whoever the next uh, group of five team is. I think it'll be cyclical. You know, some tiers, the ACC is going to have a good Florida State and a good Clemson for as long as they're in that conference. And then, uh, uh, you know, not North Carolina anymore, probably, but like maybe NC State jumps up and gets it all going and has a good year. And there's three. And then you basically get the Big 12 champ and nothing else. And then a few years down the road, you know, uh, Utah has it, you know, going like they normally do. And then also uh, Oklahoma State and Kansas State are good. I feel like it's going to be cyclical, but the constants are going to be. SEC, the Big Ten, and then honestly, I feel like Notre Dame has a good chance to be a constant too, just because they're set up well, they schedule tough, and the committee's going to reward that. Man, I have not thought about this question at all. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just happy that it expanded to twelve. I think it's going to make it fun and replace a lot of bowls that were not exciting. You know, I didn't really get into the bowl season until. You know, uh, probably after Christmas, right before yeah. Christmas, it's good for wrapping presents and watching. But that's, you know, some of those games are just tough. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But this is great for Texas. Obviously, Texas can get in the playoffs uh, even with a, what's going to be looked at as an off year going forward. I think they're going to win 10 games for the foreseeable future. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know, when it was announced with, in, nearly in conjunction with NIL that the playoffs were going to expand, it made perfect sense for Texas to go to the SEC. But I don't know the distribution. You know, you got to – you get these teams that are uh, perennially overrated uh, that that get a bounce. Notre Dame's going to get overrated uh, and get bounced in uh, probably over some more deserving teams in some years. Uh, the SEC is ha will have its share of overrated teams that still get in. Maybe even Texas is one of those teams in, in a year down the road. Who knows? Uh, the Big Ten's going to have some overrated teams. And, you know, the ACC, those teams are going to have to scratch and claw their way in. The Big 12 teams are going to have to scratch and claw their way in. Uh, you know, I don't worry about the externals as much as Texas is doing well, which I anticipate Texas being in the playoffs pretty much every year going forward uh, for the foreseeable future. So Notre Dame has to be in it every year. If you're going 12, I'm, I'll be shocked if Notre Dame doesn't make it for the first, you know, three, four years of the of its existence. And there, I feel like there's always going to be a Liberty. There's always going to be a Boise State. 
that other one, there's that to me is going to be the interesting part of the yeah the, Tulane, the Tulane, you know, well, Tulane, not, exactly. not now, but those types of teams, yeah, right, right. Hey, so I think that's the fun part from the from me. John Summerall said when he took the Tulane head coaching job that they were going to win a national championship, and you know, you never really say that at Tulane uh, unless you're High, highest, highest GPA, maybe the highest GPA. Uh, well, I mean, that's a smart school, but I don't think they have uh, tough restrictions for getting in for football, do they? It's a good school, but I don't know about as far as uh, athletes. I like this comment from Derek, kind of go along with it. You have to go 10 and two to get in as SEC team. I don't think that's true. Uh, there have been nine win, nine and three SEC teams that have been in the top 10, not many, but like a handful and I think with the way the league's going, it there's going to be some benefit of the doubts given. And there haven't been there haven't been very many. There have been three lost teams in the final top twelve of CFP rankings, but they're ten win conference champions. Like Kansas State, a couple uh, two years ago when they beat uh, TCU, they ended up ten and three, so they had three losses, but they got that tenth win in the conference championship. So the one thing that I think will uh, change, there's a real possibility of a two-loss national champion. And to, when I looked it up since <laughs> World War II, the only two national champions with two losses are LSU 19, in 2007. LSU in 2007, Minnesota in 1960. That's it. It's It's been a sport that's demanded perfection. Even teams that you know had one loss and one tie weren't often rewarded or had to split them. So yes. I I wrote about this about a month ago over on Inside Texas. I do like more games. I do like more intrigue. I love that. It's going to make for real, real busy Decembers. Uh, but, you know, we did lose the fact that you cannot be perfect in a, in a sport that's so often rewarded perfection and still win a national title just because of a uh, expanded playoff. Most, Guys, of, uh, most of Saban's uh, national championships, they had a loss. Uh, yeah, so this gives you uh, this gives you margin for error. Uh, yeah, I like it. There's going to be a year where an, uh, the number eight seed wins it. I mean, it's a year like this year would have been pretty wide open. So uh, especially in this era where quarterbacks are moving all over the place and there's excessive roster turnover, yeah. uh, you're going to see teams gelling later in the season. So don't be surprised. I mean, the, the 12-team cha- playoffs are going to be quite intriguing. And look at that. Just because I filibustered, I got us another $5. <laughs> Could you see something wild, like a wild card game for those teams right on the edge of making the playoffs? Not until they get paid with TV money. I mean, if we're, I mean, I know there's NIL, but if we're still keeping up the pretenses of college athletics and student athletes, which everybody's trying to, I don't think you're going to see a, a potential for a 17 game schedule, especially on top of everything for the coaches who have to do portal recruiting and roster. And on top, just there's too much already on the schedule to add another game to where you would have to, what, win four to make it to the national title game or win a national title. And that's after playing 13 if you win your conference title. If you're like, I don't I don't see them adding games unless the uh, TV money starts getting split up. I'm for more football, though. But listen, the NFL is showing us that this is too much. 
they don't realize they're doing it. It's, I feel like they're cannibalizing themselves to some degree, but they're making so much money. It, it's hard to, to, they won't look down the road, but that, I think that's where a lot of this comes from. Look at what we saw this last weekend. The wild cards expanded over the last couple of years in, in the NFL. And you've got the number two seed playing on a, a wild card weekend. Whereas a few years ago, tech, the Cowboys would have had that buy and they would have lost in the next round. And so at the end of the day, college football, Joe nailed it. it, it you, they're going to have to be employees at this point. You'd have a union, I feel like, at some to some extent. You're adding playoffs for four, maybe five games. That's half a season for most guys at this level. So, but if if those if the, if those dollars can be milked, I think this conversation would actually take place in the future once they establish the playoff and once they figure out can we make more? Because the NFL, in my opinion, is they there's way too much. It. Thursday night ball, two games on Thursday, two on Saturday. You know, it's so much. And I think that's what, in, in a sense, it waters it down. Guys, been going for about an hour and five minutes. See, we got some late questions about defensive tackle, about Ryan Williams, about Caleb Downs, uh, about, you know, Amari Nyblack and uh, even Jabbar Muhammad. We talk about that a lot earlier in this episode. So make sure you go back, give that a watch if you're just now joining us. If not, make sure you go to InsideTexas.com where we have all this information and we'll have you covered not only for the next couple days, but also as, hey, that junior day gets closer and closer and almost 60, maybe even 70 prospects will be in Austin in order to uh, visit with the staff and we'll get the most information we can from them after. So, Justin, Eric, thank you all so much. Guys, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel, turn on alerts so you never miss a video. We'll keep it coming constantly here on the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.